How's your day been? Oh, the day's good. We, um, it's school holidays here, so we're just getting ready to go to the mountains tomorrow for some skiing, and the weather's really rubbish. And um, oh. it's been raining here continuously for, you know, for over a week now. So, uh, but New Zealand needs it. The water supply in Auckland is very low, and um, we've had such a great summer, though. I know I didn't it's funny because I, I mean I live with my auntie mm-hmm. she's a Maori as well and her daughter's back there and she, we were just speaking to her the other day and just saying how rare it is for New Zealand to be in a drought yeah actually now I can um, hear some Maori coming through in your Aussie accent it's kind of like... <laughs> yeah I was born I spent my whole life here but my father it's funny you that's why um, you actually sound you just speak like him. He was he's well, very well spoken, Maori. Oh yeah. So after he served in the New Zealand Army military, he moved over to Aussie. Eh? Did he marry over there? He did. Yeah, my mother, obviously, who was um, uh, she's born here in the Northern Beaches, and she's Irish English. Um, yeah, and that's when he got into stunts. Was she was she in the business as well? Oh, I lost you. Are you back? Yeah. Did you get that? Yeah, yeah. Now, was she in the business as well? No, she was a school teacher. I mean, actually, my dad um, was an entertainer uh, at the time. He came over and he was uh, he used to sing um, at the local clubs. And they were my mum and my auntie were on a trip. Uh, uh, where were they going to the Great Barrier Reef or something? And they were catching and they were all on a bus trip. And my dad was the entertainment so he was on the box with his guitar and he would go traveling with them around and yeah they fell in love oh wow and um <laughs> how did he get into the business who got him started uh i believe it was uh, a gentleman named peter armstrong who was quite um uh prevalent in the industry here um at the time that was in the 70s um so he worked uh and he was obviously the he was dark moldy skin so um uh, you know i never really he never gave me the impression that that was different as growing up or that that had held him back in any way shape or form but i'm after his death and since i've grown up many years later I'm starting to recognize like I always knew my mum always said things like oh he never played an islander he always played odd roles like Mexicans or you know Spanish or Italians and things like that and I guess that was the time of the big froze and big mustaches but it wasn't really until recently I saw a video from the 70s and it was um, a high fall done by you know, there was Grant Page and a lot of those prevalent um, performers that were around in Australia. And, you know, my dad was in the was in it, but in the background kind of thing. And I realised, wow, he was really the only man of colour around at that time. And I know how hard it is now for me to get roles as it is, let alone in the 70s as an islander and a dark man here in Australia when, you know, there, there weren't many. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm kind of getting a little bit more educated about that now and starting to even just recently ask my mum the questions like, did dad ever face, you know, racism? And 
and she's telling me, yes, he did. There were times where, you know, he was called out to in the street and, um, you know, spoken down to, but, you, you know, he never showed that to me. And I, I, I think he was quite good at, he was a very loving and kind man and gave generously of his time. And so I don't think he would have shown how much that maybe affected him truly right. to a lot of people. So you, you grew up with um, a stuntman for a father and I, I suppose that he would have, um, if he wasn't involved in a lot of camera work, so he would have been involved with some of the setups and the background work and that would have led him to these other aspects of the industry that you were mentioning to me earlier, like safety and um, management. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, you're right. I mean, obviously there wasn't a lot of work around at that time, but there was also a small group of people, but um, he was one of the, um, one of the first groups of stunt coordinators, what I believe in Australia. Um, and I believe there was kind of a limited resources on work, resource on work, um, and they were all kind of after the same work, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he get, I guess he used to train a stunt team. Um, so every Sunday, you know, ten or fifteen people would come around to my house, and he'd take us out, and I, my brother and I would tag along, and we'd go horse riding and high diving and to gymnastics and do a whole plethora of, you know, training elements. Um, I mean, and then, you know, we'd sneak out at night and sneak into the local pools and go off the diving boards and do all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, when they didn't have work, he uh, tried, he started his company, uh, well, he expanded on the company, which is called Who Dares, which was after his beloved New Zealand SAS, which is the motto is Who Dares Wins. Mm -hmm. And he started getting the security guards, uh, the stunt performers all went out and got security licenses and started doing security on film sets. Um, and that was kind of, I guess, a way to make a buck when they weren't uh, performing. Yeah. And uh, he, he was, I mean, being in the SAS, he took things really seriously and he was quite a hard taskmaster. Um, so, you know, it's funny, Afra, uh, there's a performer uh, named Gillian Statham and she's uh, she was one of the big, first biggest stunt women here in Australia to be successful and she tra trained under him and she actually, I don't know if you can see that picture. Yeah. That's her up on the It's a bit far away, but um, she... Um, she just wrote a book and you can she talks a lot about um the training that they went through and you know there was definitely a military element of it i mean and that was the days of um of daredevil stunts and he really brought his sas background into it so you know he was preparing them for anything and everything and when you read that book now, like compared to, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure I want people to read this. They're not going to, you know, now we're all, all like looking after ourselves and wearing all the pads in every which way. And, you know, he had them going out in the middle of the night when there were storms with, with canoes in our local canal, you know, and getting them to do, they used to climb the harbour bridge at night and go abseiling off the side and do all the crazy things. Uh, which made them very tough and prepared for anything. Did you, um, um, it's, it was definitely a different way. <laughs> did you ever? Being. Did you ever get a, 
did you feel like you had no option but to get into the business? Was there other things that you were interested in that uh, your parents encouraged you into? Did stance, uh, where was stance in relation to other aspects of your, perhaps what you're looking down the barrel of your future as a full, well, as an early teen and what were you thinking? Um, well, you know, from the, t I can remember, I literally as a five-year-old girl, used to walk around and say, my name's Talena Moana Nakora and I'm going to be a stunt actor girl. Um, so I just, I had a vision from the very beginning, I guess. Um, and that I was born into this world where, you know, every day all the kids in the street were at our house. And it was a very, like, you know, we were, we were learning to drive cars when we were kids and we were riding skateboards with the dogs pulling us along and, we were getting up at five o'clock and swimming laps and I, I guess I, I we had a very disciplined life but it was very fun and I really I really loved it and my brother not so much you know he didn't like to be told what to do and I but I loved that my you know I had this you know I'd get home from school and there'd already be five kids at my house and you know we'd have all sorts of you know games organized and you know he'd be teaching us all sorts of tricks and moves and you know coming down the street on it with doing handstands on a skateboard so I mean sometimes I question whether I've questioned in the past is well maybe I when I questioned whether I wanted to do stunts it was more like oh maybe I just want to live a really fun adventurous life and I like doing cool stuff um, because no I, I guess I always kind of thought that that was the direction I was leading in and I loved performing and dancing and you know doing gymnastics and being on the stage uh, but there were times it wasn't it was really after he passed away when I was 14 and I think that's when I started you know losing my way a little bit because the beauty like the discipline that I that he created in my life and the structure that he brought and the excitement and those elements you know had been taken from me like unexpectedly and and that was one thing I definitely struggled with um, throughout my life after that was I'd had this kind of world set up for me where it had been it had um, been provided for me and then I had to I've, I've gone through my struggles to be able to create that structure and discipline for myself I guess yeah so when you uh, during your teen years uh, were you doing any what, what sort of things were you doing in front of the camera during those period after your father passed away and um, here you were high school stunt work screen Look, work uh, i you know he passed away when i was 14 and i basically i did drama at school but i really it really affected me very uh, very deeply and i i kind of i i ended up actually leaving school a couple of years later um before i finished year 11 um i i didn't handle the I didn't handle things very well. I didn't know how to really deal with my emotions, I guess, at that time. And I struggled with um, some of my relationships at school and, you know, the bitchiness that went on often between people that, are, you know, were supposed to be your friends. Um, and I just kind of, I didn't have any, my world was so shattered that I didn't really have any concept of, uh, what this this life that I had been leading to, you know, for 
14 years prior to that. Mm. Um, and it took me some years to find my way back to that. And I think it was so crucial for me because it all for anyone, like they're the developing years of your lifetime where you're learning to put uh, structures in place and learning how to deal with things. And, um, and I, yes, I, I kind of probably, I shut down a little bit and I think I rebelled more as a teenager and, you know, went out and partied and drunk with my friends. And I, you know, I went through a whole period where I thought if I, if I kind of could make the people around me happy, that that would make me feel better. And then I had to really go on a journey of self and kind of figure, you know, find healing in myself so to speak, and find kind of, you know, I travelled the world at 21 for two years and uh, that was a really good time for me and an empowering time to find my way a little bit. Um, and then I kind of came back and it was really funny because I went from this period in my life where I was giving so much to everyone else and then I kind of went the other way and I got really selfish and just did everything for myself for a while and then, you know, realized I had to kind of balance myself out and find that peaceful place where you know you can have a happy safe existence of give and take that makes so, sense um, so so since then you've been um was it clear to you that uh, when you decided to become this stunt actor that Australia was the place that it could happen. Was that clear to you, or uh, what were your thought? What was the thought then? Because you, you know, your your dad's gone, and um, there are obviously other people around your life, and um, and when you're getting into this business, so was Australia? A, did you see a part, a future in Australia, or was other? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's funny. You know, I refer back to that time as a kid where I was going to be a stunt actor girl and I kind of had it all set out. I was going to finish high school. I was going to study at NIDA and then then I was going to Hollywood. And, you know, I remember saying that to multiple people as a probably an eight or 10 year old. <laughs> and, that, and that all went out the, all went out the, the door. I didn't finish high school. I didn't go to NIDA. Um, and I've not yet made it to Hollywood, but, um, I, well, maybe that's not true, but um, I, um, I, I kind of, I did, I came back from, you know, spending these years abroad and trying to find my way and I, I decided to go to drama school and I studied acting uh, for three years here in Sydney. I mean, I had, I'd, I had been you know, working in the industry here. I mean, my, my mother had built up my father's business. She took over his business when he passed away. And so I'd been working on film sets my entire life still. Um, I worked as an assistant director. Um, one of the first jobs I worked on as a production assistant was uh, The Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions. So I was on set a lot and I was, you know, seeing everybody in the stunt world and I was watching, you know, uh, I was watching acting and stunts going on. But to be completely honest, I just didn't have the confidence in myself at that time. I think I think I was sitting back going, oh, I want to do that. Oh, I want to do that. But I didn't, uh, I just didn't, uh, I didn't step into it. I wasn't ready to step into it at that time. But I think they're all, they're all, you know, 
parts of my journey of things, little breadcrumbs that dropped along the way. Um, but yeah, I decided to study acting and then I got a diploma in theatre and performance practice from um, a school here in Sydney. And then once I finished that, I decided to get my stunt grading. And I think I was 26 by the time I did that, which was 2009. Right. And yeah, and so that was, a, I started late as, you know, in some regards, I guess, when I'd had this, I'd had like a, a doorway into the industry for a very, you know, um, so to speak. Um, but I wasn't ready to walk through it for quite a long time. I guess that might make sense. Yes. So one of the grading, was there um, growing up in Australia, so a person coming through the system in Australia, is the grading system the only way? So an, a young person coming, wanting to become a stunt person, a stunt man or woman in Australia, the grading system is the is the pathway that you must pursue to make it in Australia. And obviously you came to that point too. Um, yeah, it is the only way you can work as a stunt performer here in Australia. And I think it's the only country in the world. Oh no, England has a, the British register, Correct. stunt register. But yes, I mean, uh, you have to go through, uh, you have to be um, graded um to work and you have to be show proof competency in five different areas which are body control heights vehicles um uh animals water that's five yeah and then um that's for your initial grading which they call the stunt action person um grading which is um and it's changed over the years i mean it's gotten a it's becoming more and more comprehensive, but you basically need to show competency in four out of those five categories. Yeah. Um, and then you, you kind of like on your stunt, uh, your stunt learners, so to speak, um, you, you can't do mainline stunts once you get that. Um, do you want, do you know how the register works or? I do know, I've got a rough idea how it works. So my question, uh, getting to this point, so you've got this background of raising a family of a stunt coordinator and you've had advantages that other stunt people uh, don't have. And yet at the age of 26, you have to get graded and that takes you back to a starting point in the system. And um, how did you, um, how did you find that? So, you know, did you find that, because you've got all these added, um, not only life experience, but film experience that's on, that's, that you've carried as an AD or as a production assistant. Um, and now you're graded. Did that in any way go towards you progressing further in the industry? Or, um, I mean, do you have goals as a stunt performer, as a stunt woman, uh, that, um, that takes into account all those collective experiences that, you, that you've had? Um, Definitely. I mean, uh, I mean, and I knew a lot. I knew a lot of people in the industry, which already is a big plus because one of the hardest things, and you know, the, they, there's that old saying, "It's not what you know, it's who you know." Um, and I mean, that could be questioned these days. But one of the hardest things to do is that you have to to get graded. You have to getting. You have to get um, signed off and um, have a letter of recommendation from a number of you know, stunt coordinators and stunt performers. So obviously I already had um, contact with a lot of those people 
Um, and the training systems have changed over the years. Like, uh, you know, my father ran that training school back in the day, um, but then there was a long period where they didn't really exist. Um, those, you couldn't, you know, there wasn't really a school or a training course that you could go to. There are more starting up now. There's a, you know, one run by Tony Lynch called the Stunt Gym here in Sydney. And, you know, that's kind of a, a go-to place to go and, and learn. Kia Beck had AP8 up there in Queensland. So that was a place that look up on the internet young performers these days could look up or wannabes and could get in contact with them where it was a bit harder back then for you to just cold call or get the phone number of a stunt coordinator so for me it was obviously a plus with that and you know having onset experience and knowing how things work you know that's not something you learn overnight yeah. <laughs> um and you know i was very lucky to have that experience as it was so, Talena, so you, um, you're in your 30s. You've been doing this for a while. It's in your blood. I mean, what's the... Um, do you want to coordinate? It's funny you should say that. Uh, I never really thought I did until I uh, got a letter of recommendation for um, my last stunt grading and somebody said, would make a great stunt coordinator. And I was like, oh, I didn't really think about that. I mean, to be quite honest, part of my, you know, struggle um, uh, has, which I think, I think this is kind of the stuff you want to talk about as well, is the struggles of the industry um, was my my own personal journey as a human um, to finding um, finding my place in the industry and finding um, my direction in life. So although I did, I was handed. In a lot of opportunities. It took me um, a long time to find my own way personally and decide that this was, was what I really wanted. Um, and I, I went off on my own, uh, in my own direction a number of times. I did get graded in 2009, but at the time I was both facing still some of my own personal turmoil. So I wasn't very focused and very committed at that time. And I was very lucky that I had the connections that I did in the industry and I was getting work. But to be honest, I wasn't working very hard at the time and I I wasn't working hard for it. And it wasn't until some years later where I really realised um, that I wanted to push myself and commit to it and and I put the time in and, and I started feeling like the, that... I, that's it's very hard as an actor or a stunt performer when you're not working as well to say i'm a stunt performer oh, I've, I've worked three days in the last two months but really i go and do this other job all the time but i'm a stunt performer so to kind of find my way and my 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 commitment to that and a big part of that was i was working in the film industry in other roles so it was very hard to be so well known on film sets here in sydney um, working for my family business or as an AD and in the end I had to make a decision to remove myself from um, from those other roles so I could focus on acting and performing and you know follow my creative path um, and that really really helped me actually that gave me the space to push in the in the areas they wanted to and 
it really pushed my career in a different direction. So do you think, um, and not just for you, and I guess for the other, so many talented um, women in Australia that I've worked with over the years, you know, uh, like Ingrid and uh, Carly, who introduced you to me, and, and the list kind of goes on. And is there, is there a pathway that you can see, I mean, for yourself and other women uh, in Australia? And there's enough mentoring going on is, uh, from, from, um, from other female coordinators or, you know, more importantly, too, from men who dominate the industry? Um, I think that the discussions about creating those pathways are becoming more prevalent. I think, um, you know, um, there's more work than ever. Um, I think there's, I mean, despite COVID, I think the industry here is building. I think obviously there's a movement um, at the moment, you know, surrounding um women in film it's been happening for the last few years um people are wanting to sort see more female characters and hear more female stories um i know that amongst my peers uh i've got a group of um well basically you know carly as you say um basically every time i work with and make friends with a um a, a female performer i create a friendship and a bond with that, that person and i think we're trying to create more of a group element like i know i have a group of stunt performers that we're all meeting for lunch this sunday uh, we try to get together and do some training um i don't it is a female group but um i also have a groups with males in them as well where I get together and train and I think as a community we're more so just trying to band together generally um, but I think particularly us females we're really trying to support each other and lift each other up I mean it used to be that you would sit in an audition room and look across from each other and you you know you really want the role and uh, and but now I guess we're trying to you know we're trying to share information a lot more and I often get called for work and I say look I'd love to do that job but to be honest my friend such and such will probably be much better or she'll fit the brief better and I think back in the day you know you just would have tried to get the job but now um, I think we're really trying to support each other a lot more and even you know take on I mean, I haven't really used it as the sense mentorship uh, in the term, but I definitely try and um, help young performers. And I know a lot of the women that I'm surrounding myself with are also interested in doing that, whether it's by, you know, helping a new performer or giving them a few tips or, you know, trying to share some pads or give them some old equipment. Um, but I definitely think it, it's starting to happen and I, I think, you know, like Carly and I were talking the other day and, you know, just those discussions are making me think more about how how we can help the next generation, if that makes sense. Yes. I mean, I guess to... Uh, My rambling? No, no, absolutely not. I think it's a, it's a great discussion to have. And I found, like, probably a very similar path to your father having in the early days you know i was on set but very few opportunities for brown people for example in my case um 
I've, I knew that if I wanted to stay in the industry, the only way I'm going to do, if I want to do cool gags and I'm going to have to make them, I have to create the gags and that's the, and I had to become a coordinator. So, yeah. I, so I clearly saw the, what the industry was for what it is. It was uh, certain things were beyond my control. There's obviously there's writers involved as you discover this now there's, um, um, you're appealing to certain demographies. And um, so there it was. I knew that the moment I became a coordinator, that at least increases my chance of, of doing gags. And I wonder if there is, um, if there is a, a similar pathway for women that will see more women in roles. I'm just thinking about situations where the default is to throw guys in the background in a bar fight. Yeah. You know, those kind of scenarios. And um, I, all, I often wonder if, I, if there was a woman on my coordinating team, whether that would be a very... Um, the background will look very differently. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I, I honestly, I, I grew up, you know, my dad, I've told you about the life that we had. I, I was never discriminated against. I've never felt discriminated against. And I always thought I can do everything that everybody else does. And I have to be honest, like I kind of had to educate myself a little bit on um, the women's viewpoint. Uh, and because um, I just, I, I guess I didn't really... I'm seeing it a lot more now than, you know, obviously the number of roles for men versus women. Um, and I, I'm all, but I'm also seeing, you know, more women in the background um, at playing security guards and um, being part of those roles. So, I mean, it is nice to see that because obviously, you know, when a war film comes along or something, you know, basically we all know that, you know, unless there's a nurse getting thrown over this, nothing. Well, you know, there's nothing for us on that job. Um, but I guess you can't really change history either uh, <laughs> and try no. and start throwing us in those roles. Um, but, you, you know, and it's, oh, I guess I like there's a lot more female action heroes coming out and a lot of those films surrounding women and things like Orange is the New Black where, you know, there's strong female casts and whatnot. Mm. Sorry. Um, what about um, the role of uh, stunt actors, people who can act and do their own action? How is that part of it? And you obviously have some, um, you have some training in acting. Has that, uh, being a stunt woman, has that opened up roles for you? Oh, look, definitely. Um, and look, I, you know, I guess, you know, this was you know, part of my, I mean, one of the things I think as a performer, whether you're a stunt performer or you're an actor or any kind of performer is, um, I mean, is finding, finding, I guess, your truth to who it is you want to be and what you want to portray. And obviously that's kind of a bit contradictory when you talk about stunt performers who are generally doubling other people, but I mean, uh, I touch back on how I mentioned, you know, when you're not working, trying to remind yourself that this is who I am. I am an actor. I am a stunt performer. Um, but, I mean, something I really had to recognise, you know, especially I used to find myself going to auditions and I was trying so hard to be what I thought they wanted me to be and it was terrifying. And, 
and I, it wasn't really until I went and studied acting in New York and I had some life experience where I found this beautiful, this beautiful acceptance of myself and recognizing that really whatever, you know, what I bring to the role is me. And if I can, if I can, um, just be happy with that and recognize I'm going to, you know, sometimes I'm going to be rejected, sometimes I'm not going to be right and be okay with that. Then I'm, you know, that's when I got happy in this, in this industry. And I started feeling like getting used to just throwing it away and doing my best and recognizing I'm, not every part is for me. But I, I think, you know, for me, I don't see myself as, you know, there are some stunt performers that, that's their life. That's all they want to do. They don't want to act. They're happy doubling, um, and that's they don't ever really want to be seen by the camera. Whereas mm. I really see myself more as an actor who wants to do their own stunts. I'm like a physical performer, and I'm happy to do the. I like doing background stunts, and I like doubling. But you know, my true passion is to to actually play roles where I get to. Um, do my own stunts and yes it has helped me like I, I get a lot of commercial work where they want someone who is you know more physical and can do certain things and and I get I get sometimes I get a much more of a kick out of playing a, a wedding guest in the back of a movie doing you know doing something as opposed to you know playing the big doubling role because I get to bring myself to it yeah mm. wow so have you ever played I would ask. That's a good question. Um, your name? Can you say your full name? Talena Moana Nakora. Well, Moana is Maori for the ocean, and uh, and um, Nakora is Maori as well. Correct? Yeah, I, it's it's uh, it is my actually my my grandfather anglicized our name. It was initially Nakora, yes. and my birth certificate actually says Nichols, which Nichols. I'm hoping will be a trivia question one day if I ever yes. make make and, it. Uh, <laughs> so, have you ever played a Maori character? Have you ever doubled for one? No, I haven't played a Maori character. I mean, I have doubled for a couple of local Aboriginal performers here, Deborah Mailman and um, Jessica Malboy. Um, and, but yes, no, I haven't. Um, I mean, I'm actually very pale at the moment um, because <laughs> it's winter, but I, I do go quite brown. And, the, you know, we are lacking in coloured performers here in Australia particularly. A story of my life. Never never brown enough, never white mm. enough, never, yeah. enough, never short enough. Um, I have Fijian heritage. I live in New Zealand. I have doubled. I've never doubled a Fijian in my entire career. I, I doubled Cliff Curtis. I've doubled Tim Wera Morrison. I've played Mexicans. I've, I've doubled several black American actors. And um, it's... Um, and just lucky on several of them, it was it was a hot summer, and I go black in summer. Yeah. Otherwise, I've had um, color thrown on me. Controversial topic, separate discussion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, in, the, in saying that, I've actually doubled a white guy as well. Where I've um, and it was a f weird situation again, coming down to this coordinating situation where I've 
I've said to the second unit director, this is possible. And he said, I don't believe you basically, you can do it. <laughs> so I ended up doubling the white guy, <laughs> white actor. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. so, so you did and because you can. And um, so um, is that, um, so a bunch of questions for you. Um, where is um, your favorite movie? What is it? Tell me about it that you worked on. Uh, Wow. Oh, the, oh really? Because I yeah. was about to say Rambo First Blood. No. But um, my favourite movie that I worked on? Uh, 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 I mean, I guess it's really funny. I, um, I don't know how to answer that because I, 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 I really... Memorable. Yeah. Um, I guess I... It was quite good for me to um to work on mad max fury road um i i didn't work on it in south um, south africa but i worked on it here and i only did a few performing days but uh it was memorable for me because i got to work alongside my the peer my my father's peers because they all of the he was in some of the original films and so it was really lovely for me to kind of continue the chain um there i i, I did a month on it and um predominantly as a crew member and then i think three or four days on camera and that you know was really lovely for me for me i think a lot of the time i love doing the fun stunts and stuff but um I get a lot out of the camaraderie. So, I mean, I met Carly Rees on Peter Rabbit last year and that was a really beautiful job that we did where um, I met some beautiful friends and we had a great fun time together over 10 days and made some lifelong connections. So they're the things that stand out to me, right. um, to be completely honest. Wow. the community that... How, um, long was, how long was that job? Yeah. Who was on it? Peter Rabbit? Yeah. Because um, when you think of Peter Rabbit, it's a little fluffy bunny running around. I haven't seen it, so I apologize. You know, you think it it's a fluffy bunny. No, it's bunny not out yet. Around. It's not out yet. Peter okay. Rabbit too. It's not out yet. Um, we worked on it last January, and I guess the show, oh, I, I mean, I was only on it for 10, I guess I was on, on it for 10 days over three or four weeks. Um, but I guess it shot for... Through, uh, I think it shot for four months, um, and we really we were background performers um, in you know in one scene that shot over ten days. Um, so we weren't doing you know very big stunts by any means, um, uh, but it was it was a very wonderful experience just to connect with other members of the industry, um, and I I really get a lot out of that <laughs> yeah. was is peter rabbit obviously it's going to be an animated character it's half animated yeah half and um, were you doing stuff that allowing space for this creature to be there in post-production were you yes yes there were um you know some blue and green screen elements and little animatronic -y things and yes wow i got attacked by a fake bunny <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember us doing a job called um, Yogi Bear, and I cannot. We did all this amazing work, but when we saw the movie, I really just remember, man, that bear is huge. It's in it's in every action shot that we did, and we could hardly see us. 
it was this animated creature that dominated the screen. It's such a, um, it was fun to work on, but I just, damn Yogi. Damn Yogi, making up my screen time. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> oh, well, that's so cool. And look, um, you know, the, um, so right now, it's, um, it's exciting times. What are your thoughts on, um, are you getting a lot of streaming work that's going to come to Australia with the rise of Netflix and do you now and um, Disney channels? Do you kind of, what, what's the sense out there? Uh, do you see opportunities growing for, uh, for everybody? Um, yeah, look, I, um, it's funny. I actually have a green card and I've, it's, I think the universe doesn't want me to go to America for some reason because every time I try and go there, I get a gig or there's a, pan, a world pandemic. I was actually about to move there, you know, like two days before the world shut down and I decided to stay here and I keep finding my, and it's funny, I, I think there's more and more kind of work coming here to Australia and I am actually really starting to consider maybe I'm not supposed to go to America um, and it's and I guess I, I have spent a lot of time now kind of building a community here and being and I, I, I I'm really trying to help uh, lift the industry here as well by um, putting time into the community um, and us kind of banding together and so that we can maybe be more prepared for all of this work coming in mm. well that it's kind of interesting well, you know, as I've, I've been putting this podcast together and um, been t last week I spent um, my evenings talking to 20 and 30-year-olds, which I thought would be a good way to target the podcast in its initial stages to talk to 20 and 30-year-olds. And what occurred to me is they're actually looking to your generation. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, because you're training with them and you're modelling uh, – your generation is their immediate models, you know, then there's me, then the one beyond that. And my peers, you know, we're, we're coordinating and, um, and we're looking to those legends like Vic Armstrong and the Rondells and uh, Greg Powell's and uh, so yeah. it's kind of, it's, but one thing I've learned is that it, it, everything catches up on you so quick. I remember uh, when I did a movie called Vertical Limits, you know, I've heard of this amazing guy called Simon Crane and then, when I worked on on vertical limits, you know, there was Simon. You know, he had this larger-than-life um, reputation, I guess. And here I met him, he was an ordinary guy, just like everybody else. You know, he was 35 at the time, and uh, and had a great bunch of people around him, like Wade Eastwood, Tom Struthers, uh, Franklin Hansen, who are these now these amazing coordinators out there doing it. And uh, we were ordinary people doing a high-profile movie, and now we sort of gone into our own path so um there were some really interesting things that came out of this questioning these uh, potential audiences and um one of the key things that keeps coming through was the and uh the need for uh mentoring uh throughout yeah. and uh right from the very starting point uh, um how did you get mentored uh, like throughout your time in your twenties, particularly uh, since your grading is really more the question. When you got graded, uh, um, apart from the people that uh, that hired you, uh, was there mu is there much happening outside of that? Did you have to make it for yourself, or did were there people who were willing to step into that role? Um, well, look, I mean, at the time when I did do my grading, I 
pretty much did that all on my own. I just went out and did all my own training because there was no school or anything mm. or place you could go to. I mean, I had all the kind of contacts, but there wasn't any really training. And, and like, I know there were a lot of stunt coordinators who were trying to start training groups and, um, and they tried to put on training, but people wouldn't show up. And so I guess, you know, they were trying to reach out to the community and help the community. And I, and I it just, there was, they couldn't find any consistency in, in people showing up. So I guess they kind of got sick of trying to put their time out there. Um, and so by the time I kind of decided I was going to do it, I just kind of went off and, you know, did all of my, the ticked all the boxes that I needed to tick. Um, and I mean, I, I have, I have a lot of family friends that are, um, that I've known since I was five that were like part of the stunt team that my father trained. Mm -hmm. So I was very lucky that they, they, I mean, I see them on set all the time. They're in my local um, circles. I can call them whenever I need. Um, and ask questions. So I did get mentoring from them and I did get work from them. Um, so I was lucky in that respect. What about things like um, in New Zealand here? So when you come into the film industry, you become this freelancer. And that's a minefield in some respects when you come to dealing with finances and taxation and all the paperwork that runs with it. I know that you have a employer employee relationship in Australia. You be, um, is a lot of that work done for you or do you have to sort of, you know, obviously as contractors, you're not earning regularly. You're earning money here, money there, and you're having to train, um, pay rent. I mean, one of the things that I, I guess I really learned is I, you have to find your own way. So I was lucky. I did have people that were willing to help me, you know, and that I could reach out to, but they're, I guess they were all working and doing their thing as well. And I wasn't on, you know, you're not on full-time teams. There wasn't always a, you know, we didn't have big jobs here. So, I mean, you go and work on a big film and you're on it for three months. And I imagine, you know, you're learning out there every day, but, you know, we're getting a, you know, an odd job here and there. So, you know, that was the bulk of my career for a long time. Um, and, and I, so, and, I, you know, and I also mentioned that, you know, I wasn't wholeheartedly focused initially as well. So, I, you know, I came back and, and, you know, at a time where I was, and I, you know, it's funny because I'd been graded for a number of years before and they, they call it your sap years here, your stunt yes. action person and you know I you know really look at you know some number of years later where I really put the work in I hassled the coordinators I showed up and I you know I painted their floors and you know I went and I cleaned the gear and you know I just kept showing up and and that's that was what I recall my sap years where you know I put in the work and I started learning that um and that I guess to I have to do that as well with learning about how to charge, how to read my deal memos. Um, we have the MEAA here, which is um, our union, um, which is what our stunt grading falls under. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm still on the phone to them every time I get a contract asking them to explain things to me and I'm, I have learned, you know, what areas I need to look into. I mean, I believe you guys don't get per diems over there. 
No, you don't get um, residuals. No, it's uh, not unless you're a SAG member and you're in a SAG job here. Um, we have a unique system here where everybody is, um, the legis our laws here don't allow us to collectively bargain uh, film yeah. contracts and we've been targeted specifically for that, and um, yeah. which is an issue we'll resolve. Um, but, you know, but it doesn't mean the end of the world. I think the, no. the, the rules are very clear and I think in any situation, once you know what the rules are, you can make it work. That's uh, right. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, like, go on. No, and in some cases, I've been in the business now, what, 20 plus years, 25 plus years, my goodness. And um, and I, I, I saw that right at the very start. And, um, you know, mm. we're here. But, uh, it, I don't feel wanting for too many things. Uh, no. <laughs> and, I mean, I remember, I mean, I, um, you know, so much of us, I mean, most of the time, you know, coming into this industry, we're just so happy to be working. Uh, you know, I just used to do stuff for free because I love to do it um, and just to get the experience. Um, but, yeah, so I'm, uh, I've spent time educating myself a little bit more on, um, you know, how to understand contracts and payment and stuff like that, and I try and encourage that and share that with um, my peers and younger, newer performers who maybe don't know what questions to ask and know how to look after themselves in that area. No, I totally agree. I really see the benefit of that, and particularly at those early years. Um, um, when I started in the industry, it was very competitive. I had people, there's only 10 or 12 of us really in the entire industry when I started, you know, and I thought we were going to be more, but in many ways, we were collaborative. But then again, this those, some of those very same people are quick to tell you that you're never going to take a job from them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, bless. And uh, so it's, it's good life education when you're at the age of 23. And, um, yeah. oh, right. Okay. I, I, I've just, while I remember, I've got all these other things that I just need to kind of get out of you. So favorite location. <laughs> favorite location. Tell me, where is it? If you, My you, favorite. Yeah. Location. Um... Oh, I th uh, actually, um, oh, there's so many, I've worked on so many cool spots. Um, I actually, it's funny, uh, I did a job at Cooper Beatty here in the middle of Australia where they shot Mad Max. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't on Mad Max, it was just uh, another job and it was driving out in the red flats. Um, uh, so I, I just love being in the outback. So that was a really nice spot for me. That sounds good. Australia's got so, um, I love Australia. I'm an Islander. Everywhere I look, there's water and I love big open space. And it's one of the things I love about Australia that you can just go forever and see the end of the sky. Yeah. I, I think that's what, it, yeah, just, that's right. Just flat desert and there's mm. nothing else. Um, oh, and we wow. did a cool cast on out there. That was pretty fun. Hey, that's awesome. Hey, good. Well, um, I'm really, um, so one of the things I'm doing is like, we're going through this uh, podcast to um, try and engage with people and um, um, uh, just keep talking um, and finding gems of um, stories from different people who are doing extraordinary mm -hmm. things with, you know, 
their lives. Whenever I, t- I really struggle with their lives, I really struggle talking to people about what we do for a job because the word stunts just implies so many things. Um, if you weren't doing stunts, if you want a stunt woman, what other things did you have in your tool belt that you would have succeeded in? Um, well, I've, I am a really good people person, to be honest. Um, so, I mean, I've worked, uh, I was a climb leader on the Harbour Bridge for a while there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and that was a really fun job. I loved, uh, I, was, I was essentially a tour guide taking people over the Harbour Bridge. Um, uh, I can make a mean cocktail behind the bar. Um, yeah, <laughs> I've worked in bars and ski fields and things like that overseas. Um, but I think anything really, I mean, <laughs> I think anything to do with uh, uh, helping people, guiding people, um, uh, providing training services. And I, I mean, I think as a stunt performer as well, you become a bit of a jack of all trade, master of none, so to speak. But I think as well with my beautiful mouldy jeans, I'm, I feel like I, I'm pretty, <laughs> so to speak myself up, but I, I've always, you know, and the childhood that I had, uh, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. Uh, to lay my hand to a number of things, especially physically. Like I believe you were, were you a what in into whitewater rafting and an adventurer? Yeah. And, uh, I feel like um, anything to do with travel, adventure, and people. Uh, I think I'm a girl. Oh wow, that's so good. Well, you know, you'll never know with this business, don't you? But. Um, um, the great thing about our region is that uh, we've got this whole entire Pacific. The film industry um, is growing in Fiji and Asia. Um, over the last few years, I've found that um, all the jobs I do outside New Zealanders, I'm having to bring people from all over. New Zealanders, I think we have a total of, what, 60 to 80 stunt people. Mm. And, um, you know, in the, the days uh, that we just have to bring people from Australia. <laughs> You know, you go to Fiji and it's a different game because Fiji doesn't have a... Fiji has a film community now, but really lacking in uh, experienced stunt people. Um, so I guess it's just any day now that we'll probably end up on the same set somewhere in the warmer parts of... Um, I'd love that. ...the planet. Um, yeah, no, we'll see what COVID does. And, uh, you know... Um, I'm not really sure what's happening over in the States at the moment. I'm going to have a chat to some of my friends over there very soon and just get a feel of what's going on in America. Um, I spoke to a friend of mine in Atlanta today, and I think he's hoping that things will kick back in an August. Um, I'm looking at a job somewhere in that part of the world. But again, um, uh, let's just watch this, watch this space. Um, mm. Hey, well, look, um, we're going to do this again. And uh, thank you. this is like a good um, good time, to, uh, good fest meet for you and I. And um, yeah. get, a good, get a good sense of it. And uh, there's so many issues that, um, going back to our, to our target audience the other day, and um, I think one of the ones that really moved me a bit was, um, and I'll just, we'll just talk about it briefly. And um, mm. one of them said, um, 
um, I, I raise the question like this, you know, if you're to have a podcast topic that dealt with one of the biggest challenges that you face as a stunt, uh, as a stuntman, what would it be? And, um, and this was a guy and he said, I want to learn how to deal with my success so that, um, and he kind of stopped and he went to say that um, I train with a whole bunch of other people. We train together, we socialize together. In some cases we live together, but I struggle with the fact that I get more work than I do. And I thought he was coming from a really great place. Wow. Uh, and I was, uh, I was quite moved by the way he said it. It, it, it was, it was, you know, it's something that obviously bugs him. And, and I have to admit that I could relate to that. I've been on mm. both sides of that. Um, mm. I've, sort of looked at some people and uh, wondered why they got ahead and so and then there's been times where i'm doing stuff and i'm going am i how do i how do i handle this success that i'm getting and um it's um i thought that was kind of a really neat uh, question i mean it's what if you've ever been in that position I, I mean i'm just trying to work out how we can best communicate to this group because it is a real issue and one of the things that's compounding these issues is the role of social media and uh, obviously people are willing to, you know, boast of their success. And, um, and, you're not, and in some cases, you're not directly the, the person creating those um, posts. It's somebody else. And, but very well, you're part of that post. And, um, yeah. Um, well, look, I, I mean, I mean, I, I, uh, I've been getting a lot of like acting commercials and stuff when there hasn't been any um, stunt work around. So, I mean, I, and I have, I work a lot as a stunt assistant when uh, for a coordinator, even if I'm not performing, I get a lot of work with him. So, I mean, I don't feel like I've um, really, I mean, there's been times where I've kind of had a little bit of experience of that, but I don't think to, to that level where um, I think it's really affected me that where I've been way felt that I'm way more successful than everybody else I guess if that makes sense but I've definitely um, seen and talked to my friends and peers about the other side of that and um, you know I, I mentioned to you earlier today that we're trying to kind of have more open discussions about, you know, even about our, like, sometimes about our, our reactive jealousy. You know, I, I talk, actually, we talk quite openly about it. A few of the girls and I are going, I really, I, I don't know why I'm so happy that person got that, but there's still a part of me that feels a little bit, you know, like I would have liked that, even though it's my friend and I'm so excited for her, there's still a part of me that feels a little bit bad. So, I mean, we're talking about that stuff and bringing it out mm. more and I think just talking about it kind of um, is it, it is helpful. But, I mean, I, I, I see a lot of problems with, like, self-sabotage when it comes to accepting success and, um, and have uh, experienced that um, more so myself. Um, but I mean, I think that's a really beautiful topic uh, and shows what kind of a person that guy is. Yeah, <laughs> I think it does. No, I, it really, it was a real struggle and coming from a very talented yeah. individual. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, and I guess, I guess it, to me, it makes me think a lot more, um, 
I know that there are a few people that I know that really, really struggle with other people getting work. Um, and unfortunately, they don't do it in a very uh, vulnerable way. It's usually quite aggressive and negative. Um, and I, I kind of feel for them. Um, but I, and I guess overall, I feel like there are people working on different scales all the time. You know, I've done a lot of work in television and on commercials here. You know, I've done some work on, you know, some of the bigger films as well. But, you know, I, you know, I think you have to be, um, find your own place and peace with where you are in the industry and just because you're not a full-timer or a lead double on the big Hollywood productions um, you know but you're doing your own version or your you know your own work I think you need to honor the work that you're doing and the work that you're putting in whether it's on home and away or mm. you know a student film or a, a Hollywood production. So, uh, and that's kind of something that I've really, really worked on for myself just to know I'm doing my best. I'm doing the work that I'm doing uh, for for myself. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not comparing myself to others, basically, because yeah. I think that's the crux of it. It's comparing yourself to others. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, it's, um, and, um, no, I, I, I'm hearing you about you and the, and the girls and talking openly. And then there's some point where all this hard work has must manifest itself in making money because, you know, it's, this is, um, I mean, it's, it's the business that we're in and I'm sure anything that has money in it is going to create, um, you know, um, just the, um, money and it all comes back down to this, it always always comes back to money in some respects because you know you do need to pay the bills and uh, mm. you do the hours and it's great having the experience but there's no invoices that are getting sent out <laughs> and uh, yeah you know, and money you know like you do a cool cushy residual job and you make a you know big or you make it do one of those jobs and you're set up for the rest of the year you can have six months off and just do all your training um but you know if you're not uh, you know, you're still only doing days here and there and, you know, having to do a job to pay the bills and, um, you know, that you're right, it does, it does have an effect. And then you go, I mean, there's the element where you actually, then you end up working as a stunt assist on, you know, a big film where you're doing 14 hour days for six months and, you know, you're exhausted. You yeah. don't get to uh, do do your training or your, your regimes go out of whack because you're not sleeping mm. and, uh, you know, and you're exhausted. Yeah. And one of the things that was really kind of cool with the discussion, I just want to touch it on really briefly. It's a topic I don't really know a lot about. And um, in some cases, it's the whole issue of, you know, the question was how do you handle like more discussion about mental health and the way it affects our community. And um, I'm of a different generation and, um, and we, when a bunch of us talk about mental health, you know, we have a very, um, I don't know, it's, um, put, uh, we have to be very careful about the way we talk about it, mm -hmm. that, which is indicative that we're not quite up with certain um, yeah. um, 
we're not really up with all the issues about what what mental health is. And I know that um, um, part, you know part of life is just there'll be difficult days, and uh, and we've chosen an industry where it promises a lot but delivers very little in some respects. Yeah. <laughs> and. Um, um. You so could you, what do you know about that topic and in terms of how it's affected uh, people that you know and maybe yourself, you know, if you've dealt with it uh, and in terms of, is it the, uh, does the film industry sort of um, um, compound that issue or is, is it often something that's already there uh, generally in society that we need to take more notice of? Uh, well, I think um I, I get what you're saying in regarding to not being able, um, I think the generation prior, like your generation, and those just some, you know, I guess are you baby boomers? I'm before, but I'm after baby, I'm Gen X. after baby boomers, but that kind of time. Yeah. I mean, it was really widely spoken about. Mm. Um, and... You know, it's becoming a lot more prevalent now. I mean, when I was during COVID, I got multiple texts um, and had group chats with a bunch of other stunt performers, and they were all men. And there was like four men and me, and they were all asking each other, "How's your mental health? Are you coping okay at home? Like mentally, how are you?" Doing? And you know, I just thought, "Oh, that's really lovely." So it it is um it it is a lot more common. Uh, common knowledge and openly discussed um, in this, but you know, in some circles, um, I have ex uh, experienced like uh, issues in my own personal issues with depression uh, in the past, and you know, faced uh, put a lot of time into. I mean, I think after my father died, I took, I didn't really learn the skills. Um, that I would have usually been learning at that time and developing to to deal with difficulties um, and emotional upset. And uh, it took me some time until a number of years later where I recognised I needed to put those tools in place. And I, um, you know, just, I was, I guess I was somewhat erratic with my um, reactions because I didn't know how to handle my emotions. And I just, I hadn't really learned because I was so upset and I was rebelling like a crazy teen. And it was, that's just part of my journey that I then later on in life had to, you know, teach myself um, to how to how to handle those situations. So, you know, that's what I did. And now, you know, I've put a lot of practices in place for myself. Like today I was supposed to go to Kung Fu uh, tonight, but I, um, like a lot of self-love practices. Because yeah. tonight, you know, I was supposed to go to Kung Fu, but I had a terrible, like, day at work and I was very mentally drained to the point that I was almost going to say, oh, I'm not sure I can do it tonight, Augie. But I went, no, and I went and I had a restorative yoga practice instead and, you know, really cleared my head and meditated and, you know, I felt rejuvenated and better. And so, you know, I, I've got a lot of those practices in place now where, you know, I am trying to look after my well-being mm. um, to support not just my job and not but my life because you know if I'm no good I'm no good to anybody else and uh, look I and and the, the film industry I think 
I think it's a very stressful job at times. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I struggled with was when I went off and, you know, I went off to the Amazon and I worked with shamans and spent a lot of time, you know, delving inwards. And um, I came back and I was, you know, um, I would work on a film set and I found this kind of place where I was very grounded and I had kind of recognised um, what the real, you know, meaning of humanity is and what, you know, what the important things are about connection and between humans and um, love and the earth and our connection to it. And, um, and then I would go and work on a film set, um, you know, making an ad for McDonald's, um, like thinking, oh, my God, like, you know, juxtaposed view of where I was in myself and my view of, you know, the importance of the world and then, you know, making this $2 million McDonald's commercial or whatever it was. And I kind of had this struggle between what I believed was important yeah. and what I did for a living. And I really, and then I recognised, well, you know, this is still the world that I live in and this is the job that I do. I mean, I love working on film sets. Um, and I, I, I realised that I can still bring myself and what I have to give and offer to the world to that space. And I still need to make money and I still enjoy what I do. So I, I learned to kind of come to terms with, you know, giving my my gift, so to speak, to, um, sharing my gift to that to the industry that I love. Mm. Um, um, but, yes, it can I do, you know, find it to be quite tolling at times um, on the body, um, on the mind. I mean, often, you know, there, you know, I, was, I feel like there is, there is a, a stressful element in regards to, um, <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's, I guess it's, diff uh, you know, for instance, how, you know, you, I got booked on a commercial the other day and was on a hold for three weeks for this job and put a week aside and then they got someone else for the commercial and didn't even tell me oh and, God. you know, I had to call them the day before and they, I feel like, you know, it's one of those industries that's kind of a little bit um, selfish I guess or you know hierarchical or mm. there's some there's a lot of often disrespect for the lower lower tiers um and uh you know that's something you you know you have to learn to manage yeah. um and I, I I think I've put I I I've gotten good at that, um, but I know, you know, if that was some young actor who's just got his first job sitting around thinking and waiting, and, and that's just an example, yes. you know, there, you know, we work 14-hour days and then we've got to drive an hour back to the hotel and then, you know, we don't have a 10-hour turnaround and nobody asks us if we want to do overtime and no other industry in the world works like that, you know, they can't even drive for four hours you know, um, without having a break on our buses here kind of thing. Like there are all of these systems in place in, uh, in regards to WHS and, you know, looking after um, workers that are provided for most other industries and mm. we're kind of our own little box where we, uh, yeah. Oh, I, more than I, most people. I hear you. I just, there's an article the other day, um, that I read about going back to Hollywood, returning to work. How we, we don't want Hollywood. We don't want to go back to Hollywood the way it was after COVID-19 and addressing some of those 
disciplinary issues. Hey, um, let's um, let's do this again, and uh, let's call it a day. And um, just a really great um, opportunity for us to get to know each other and meet. And I think, um, you know, like for me, it's um, um, I'm just been trying to find a way to, you know, to address some of the issues that um, I want to talk about stunts. I want to talk about films. I love it. And uh, but to me, in in terms of the last twenty five plus years, talking about films and the excitement of stunts and the and the work that we do goes side and side with the fact that it's done by really um, people who look at life very differently. And I think people mm-hmm. who've kind of won the lottery, I say, I, I kind of put it. You know, we kind of won the lottery in terms when it comes to, you know, the what we've got as a job and as a career. Yeah. And, um, and it, as much as it comes with this. You know, I, with this amazing ticket to fun, I, what I've met over the years is people also who kind of saw it as a, like this awesome platform to achieve some other good things. And one of those is like uh, engaging with people and tra- helping them transform some of their communities and their own lives. And, you know, as I'm certainly living a very different life from what my parents, um, you know, had in mind, I guess. And um, so, yeah, I just want to say thanks for... Um, you know, for us getting together. And I, I just want to do this again. And, and, um, when, and I want to sort of go a bit to some of the other issues that you've had experiences with, you know, like, um, um, you know, uh, you've touched on a little bit today, like that whole, those, that phone call the day before you were meant to yeah. go on a job, you know, that's, you know, yeah. a person can only take so much of that in the course of 20 years, you know, it's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, Never changing. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, and and then for me, I remember just um, the moment that my career changed. I could almost pinpoint this series of weeks and months when I started to say no to people. Yeah, and, uh, and um, I was doing many different things, and then I and I realized I wasn't doing either that well, especially mm. being a stuntman. And then I and uh, because I was, kind of, I guess, you know, part of it for me, I was just protecting myself from being that whole rejection thing of the industry, you know, it was like, you start, I mean, I started to think, okay, every successful stuntman I know at that time were five foot 10 and, uh, well, five foot 10 and they were white and, um, and it's all six foot. And, you know, and that's like everybody in my peripheries. And I said, I could, I could be a bit short. I'm sure I could fit that costume. And um, no, but, it, but if I had to say the names of those people, Alan Poffleton. Yeah. Uh, Stuart Thorpe, Ben Cook, Paul Shabcott. And, uh, and it's funny because, you know, those, those very same people are now my peers and, you know, Mark Ranthwaite, you know, are all my peers that we sort of grew up in the business together and they're all kind of achieving their own stories. You know, telling their own yeah. story, their own success. And they're these amazing role models. And I'm just so proud of them. And, you know, and, and, um, we're kind of each other's competitors at the time, but we were also probably the, the secret weapon to each other's success. Totally. At, um, and I'm sure when I look at around the people around your father's generation, you know, the, the people that he probably rubbed shoulders with who are out there today, the Grant Page, you know, he's a legend. You know, I looked up to yeah. that. You know, yeah. the, guy, the guy Norris's. And, Norris. Uh, yeah, that was you know, all that time. All that generation. Um, yeah. I remember working with uh, another Australian coordinator, Glenn Boswell, you know, it was like, yeah, I was still, I was at school. And I think when I 
after I left school, I saw Police Rescue and I was like, wow, what a cool show. And recognized it was Glenn. This guy called Glenn Boswell was the stunt coordinator of that show. And I ended up working with Glenn and it was like... On The Lord of the Rings, right? The Hobbit, yeah. The Hobbit, and, uh, sorry. Thank you. The Hobbit, yes. And uh, so it was all these all these amazing names that you kind of iconic names and you discover that they were ordinary people who did these extraordinary projects. And yet they, um, you know, they, they went through the same struggles and yeah. uh, they knew what it was to be hungry for work. And uh... <laughs> I think that's what it is as well as a young performer is like, I mean, I guess that maybe there's always going to be an element of that because you're so you're insecure about about you. Mm. Um, and, you know, I guess a good way to look at it is, you know, to look at the other people that are working. But I mean, really, it's your own insecurity. Are you good enough? Are you going to get the work? Will you know you and and I think that's one thing is kind of uh, is, you know, knowing it's your own journey. Mm. You know, we all have our own story to tell. and. Um, but that's, you know, sometimes it's, it's easier to say that than to believe yeah. it and you actually get to that point. I know the point as well. When I started saying no to work and I'm, and I was like, oh, last year I probably would have just said yes to anything and now I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's going to work for me. <laughs> it's a good role, but. Mm. Yeah, that's right. 